0: Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. The Twitter purchase by Elon Musk is on hold. At least it was briefly, and now it seems to be back on. We're not really sure because a lot of the things that Elon Musk does in public discussion and negotiation is to put out tweets. In the first tweet, linked to a Reuters story about Twitter estimating its spam and fake accounts being less than 5% of its total users, he made the comment, Twitter deal temporarily on hold, pending details supporting the calculation. Okay. Then, subsequently, about two hours later, still committed to acquisition. So what does that mean? Well, the short version is that Twitter is saying that only about 5% of its active users are people who are not people. And of course, Elon Musk has made promises that one of the things he wants to do with Twitter is clean up all the bots and verify that all the people are actual people. So something about that 5% number has got him wiggling his nose the wrong way. What's weird about this is that that 5% number is not new. That 5% number has been in their filings ever since 2019 pretty consistently over and over and over again, which they acknowledge that number might be low because they've had to make a lot of assumptions in how they calculate that number. But they've been saying that for three years, so it's not like this is news. But the weird part to me is that Elon Musk thinks the number of fake users is higher and therefore he thinks the deal isn't as lucrative as originally intended. So just trying to make sense of this. He thought Twitter was worth more when he thought there were more fake accounts, which is weird because it means that the underlying structure of the company is actually worse. Or maybe he thought that when there were more, that there's a bigger delta, a bigger improvement that he can bring to the company by cleaning up the bots. Or maybe he's getting at some underlying pattern of dishonesty that he thinks is going on at Twitter that makes the company less valuable. I don't know. It's weird. But weird is kind of the way of the world in the Elon Musk era, right? The short takeaway from all this is that Twitter shares went on a roller coaster today. They went down a bunch, then they came back, and, you know, it's midday now, so I don't want to tell you what they are. It might change in the next hour. But one thing I do know is that if the deal winds up falling through, Elon Musk has to pay a walkaway penalty, a billion-dollar walkaway penalty. But for a guy who was going to spend, what, $43 billion on the deal in the first place and is worth something like $275 billion, I mean, what's a billion here or there, right? I mean, that'll only buy you about half of an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer. (laughs) What are you going to do with half a destroyer? They've been the subject of ridicule. They've been the subject of presidential jokes. They've even been the subject of TV shows. (laughs) Well, now UFOs are coming to primetime as Congress is going to have the first open hearings in 50 years on the subject of unidentified flying objects what the government has now reclassified or relabeled as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAPs. Last year, the Director of National Intelligence, DNI, released a nine-page report giving an overview of 144 incidents reported by United States government sources going back to 2004, so obviously not that long of a time period given that we've been talking about this since at least the 50s. Only one of those had an explanation, it was a large deflating balloon, but the rest are things that naval aviators have described as going at ridiculous speeds, moving too fast, blinking in and out of existence, doing things that no known current technology aerial vehicle could do. The report also talks about cultural stigmas, getting in the way of effectively collecting data on these mysterious objects because they're obviously a safety issue. There have actually been 11 incidents of near collisions between pilots and UAPs. So next week, we're going to learn all about it. I Honestly, I'm going to be glued to the TV. Because I basically don't want to believe any of the logical alternatives. I don't want to believe that it's secret technology that we have that even our own pilots don't know about. I certainly don't want to believe that it's secret technology that China or Russia has that we don't know about. And I'm not going to believe that it's alien technology. But I don't have a fourth explanation, frankly. So yeah, I'm interested. The two people participating in the hearings, one will be Ronald Moultrie, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. He's a career veteran. He's been 36 years working on intelligence, counterintelligence, and security for the CIA and the NSA. You know, all the acronym agencies are in his back pocket. I mean, not that he controls them, I just that he has that experience, and that's his community. Scott Bray is the other person to testify. He's the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, which is important because so many of the reported sightings with the military have been naval aviators who saw them out to sea. And I suppose when this all comes to pass, hopefully we'll know something. And maybe the one thing that we'll know is the government's taking it seriously finally. By the way, the new office organized by the Defense Department specifically to investigate UAPs is called the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. Oh, these acronyms. That's the AOMSIG, if you're tracking along at home. And that is under Ronald Moultrie's expertise area. So are we finally going to see the alien spacecraft secretly hidden at Hoover Dam that Will Smith is going to use to save the planet? Probably not. But are we going to get a better sense of what we do and don't know? Hopefully. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And finally, from the I know everything has gone sideways here, but is money really going to solve this problem file? A story coming out of Haridwar, an ancient city in North India's Uttarakhand state, and it's a tale as old as time. A father and a mother give birth to a son. They love their son. They raise their son. They pay for their son to go to college in the United States. He comes back. He gets married. They expect children. And six years later, nothing. Squadoosh. No kids. No satisfaction. Well, maybe not a tale as old as time. But still, in traditional cultures, the expectation of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren is, of course, pretty robust. And what they say is, look, we spent all our money on you. We invested our hopes and our dreams and our future in you. And you've given us no children. We want our money back. We'd like a refund. Thank you. What's the price tag of failure to produce grandchildren for this couple? Five crore. Now, I know a crore is not a unit of measurement you're familiar with. It's 10 million whatevers. In this case, it's 10 million rupees, about $645,000. So yes, the parents who want to be grandparents are suing the children who we don't know whether they want to be parents or not for about two thirds of a million dollars because they were not fruitful and did not multiply. The father says he gave his son all of his money, got him trained in America. Now he doesn't have anything left, took a bank loan to build a home and they're troubled financially and personally. And the lawyer for them says this case tells the truth about society. Does it? We invest in our children, make them capable of working in good firms, and then children owe their parents basic financial care. Now, again, that is a view held very commonly in traditional cultures. Now, apparently, we don't really know why the kids haven't had children. We don't know whether it's inability, unwillingness, financial considerations, or whatever. We do know that globally, reproductive rates have plummeted. In fact, it's a really scary phenomenon because back in the 70s, you remember Paul Ehrlich and the population bomb and He had kind of inherited the mantle from Malthus back in the day, warning that we were overpopulating. Well, it turns out that's not really the problem. The problem is we all believed that, and now we're not making enough children. And as lifespans elongate, we have the problem of caring for longer-living, high-cost-of-maintenance older folks. And so you even have places like China that had a one-child policy for so long, now getting rid of that. India is kind of working in the same direction. We haven't plummeted quite as bad in the United States, but still the concern about making enough children to just replace and grow, let alone to support the aging elderly, is a real financial question. But putting aside the statistics for a moment, if your kids don't have kids, do they owe you something? I guess that's for the courts to decide in India. That's it for the daily break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup and Consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star review before you take off. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.